This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by Barnabas Piper, uh, who I will be joining live uh, in Louisville very soon. So a couple of days, Pipe, we're a few days out from that. Uh, by the time this drops, that will be in the books. But uh, very excited, very excited about the Nerf footballs. Um, but we are here to talk primarily not about football. Uh, we're going to talk some basketball. We're going to get some NBA awards, talk a little NBA playoffs, a little unwritten rules in baseball. But before we do that, man, I cannot resist dropping a little bit of a football topic on you. The 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 big item of conversation this week in the NFL world has been whether or not Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ is worth two first-round picks. Um, so as, as your favorite team, as the Minnesota Vikings, granted the Vikings aren't going to be in this conversation, but, um, would, is that a, is that a deal you would do? Um, if you were a team who was in possession of two first round picks, would you pull the trigger on Odo Beckham Jr.? No, under no circumstances. I think I wouldn't either. I can't believe this is even a discussion. I can't believe people are even entertaining this, but people are. So you tell me why, and then I'll tell you why. The way that the way that the economy of football works now, it's such that like nothing is more valuable than a first round pick who hits, you know, who becomes right. a viable starter or a superstar. Now, granted, right. Odell Beckham's already a superstar, but the thing about first round picks is you have five years of guaranteed, cheap. yeah, guaranteed yeah, cheap economics yeah. salary that even even when it peaks, it's still like. Yeah, that's starter, that's starter money. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. Beckham now wants to be paid like like a star quarterback. He wants to be the, right. the top paid receiver, and so he I mean he will make somewhere between two and five times as much as a first round pick. And and wide receivers don't they don't change teams, right? They're 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 really impactful players. I mean, I watched Randy Moss, who was the best receiver since Jerry Rice. play for whatever like eight years in minnesota and he blew the competition away and minnesota was consistently competitive but not like he didn't set them apart from everybody else (laughs) exactly and what's more randy moss was generationally freaky in a way that obj is not yeah obj is a nice player he's a good receiver really good but he's like dude he's not even he's not julio jones and he's not aj green to me you know I, i think he's I think he, I think he's close to that level. The other thing is he's he's twelve to fourteen games of those guys. So even if he's That's at true. that level, he's not a sixteen game guy. He's perpetually hurt. Yeah. He's a head case. Granted, there's a long history of wide receivers being head cases. That's nothing new. For sure, Randy Moss um, was a head case, but he was he was the right head case, and you overlooked it well, because of just the the buffet of things that he brought to the that yeah he and, to the and here's the thing about randy moss like he was a head case like mm-hmm. he was he did some crazy stuff like squirting refs with water bottles and fake mooning the crowd and you know and all, taking plays off yeah but I mean, still but you he, know. And he would take some plays off but you rarely heard anything negative about his work ethic or practice habits right and right. granted there was also no social media so that's a whole different thing but like you don't see yeah. pictures of of like him snorting cocaine off a prostitute's belly or whatever it was that OBJ you do, and, and call me crazy. I look for that. You know, I look for someone not snorting cocaine off a prostitute's belly. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to um, pay somebody twenty three million dollars a year, I would like them to avoid the cocaine and the prostitutes, especially absolutely. when the two are in the same room. 
Yeah, so I don't think this is going to happen. This is a this this to me is a non thing. I can't even believe. Well, hold up, uh, though. You're aware of how dumb a lot of NFL GMs are. Like I am aware of that. This, yeah, there for are sure. some st- like the Dolphins. The Dolphins would straight up do this. Oh, the Dolphins! Because everything they do makes no sense. So what a this would be show. the this would be the the next makes no sense move. Yeah, we we've gotten rid of all of our stars who were bad locker room guys, only to bring in. The ultimate star, who's also the ultimate bad locker room guy. This would be, yeah, this would be a very dolphiny move. You're right, man. You're right. So, who do you think it? The, do you think the Dolphins would be most likely to do something stupid like this? Uh, I think they will next off season, not this uh-huh. one, because this off season they've already made enough dumb moves. Like I think they're reaching their quota. They've cut they're all their maxed talented out players. Um, you know, last year it was signing Jay Cutler. This mm-hmm. year, it's you know cutting all their good players and signing players who are less good for yeah. too much money. Um, they're probably going to draft like some terrible quarterback in the first round instead yeah. of one of the good quarterbacks. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think they're tapped out this season. But they'll yeah they could drop two first round picks for Beckham or somebody next off season. I could see that absolutely. Dude, do you have any thoughts on uh, on the Baltimore Ravens signing my man RG three? Does this um, even register on the on, on the Barnabas Piper radar? Oh yeah, it registered. Um, yeah. For a great GM, Ozzie Newsome can't judge quarterback talent to save his life. They they have probably the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. They do, which is why call me the eternal the the, the eternal optimist vis a vis RG three. I actually think this could be sneaky good for him because. He was actually playing decent football for Cleveland before he got hurt. People forget that. Um, he but was I, great with But I with think that's Mike the Ch- problem. It's, it's the phrase before he got hurt because – That's true. Baltimore has a mediocre offensive line. They have a mediocre running game. They have mediocre to poor receivers. Right. And, and he just – like he is fragile. He's a fragile player. Mm-hmm. And I just – you know, even if he plays well, it's going to be for what? Maybe half a season? Yeah. It's funny. Baltimore is a team that we still perceive as a good team, even though they haven't really been a good team in a while. Um, and you're right. Once you break it down by position group, you know, they've really got not a whole lot that's compelling there. Um, although I think of all the situations for RG3 to find himself in, in terms of getting on the field, um, you know, I don't think he goes into camp and beats out Joe Flacco, but I also think that if Flacco falters and, has some some famously bad games like he did last year. Um, there could be an opportunity there. It could be interesting. Yeah. And he's one of those guys that like. I actually wrote a column about this this week. Um, RG three or it, Flacco? No, actually Johnny Manziel. The column okay. was entitled yeah. "Help Me Understand Why I Love Johnny Manziel." But like <laughs> any Johnny Manziel news that like drifts across my transom in the last few weeks, I've been all about it. And he's just one of those guys that I want to see back on the field, not yes. for any like noble or moral reasons like i just enjoy watching him and i I enjoy him being in the mix and um you know rg3 was a guy like that for me like i enjoy i enjoyed watching him do his thing because of i think how different it was so um i think the league is better with guys like that in it especially when you know god bless the titans when guys like matt castle continue to get signed yeah and, um, and guys like colin kaepernick continued it oh wait never mind never mind a the, the most capable backup on the market still unsigned 
Fascinating, man. Utterly fascinating. Well, type Piper, I can't talk today, man. What's wrong with my my word situation today? You you uh, you are very Friday afternoon right now, dude. I'm very very Friday afternoon, and though I though I am enthusiastic about this, I'm having trouble using my words. But uh, we're going to use our words right now um, in the context of talking about the NBA, in the context of making some NBA awards because we are on the cusp of the playoffs. Um, this is the the end of the lull in the NBA where things have gotten boring and, and it's about to get interesting again. So, uh, Pipe, I have I've created some categories and created some awards. Uh, I know that you've thought through this as well, but um, I want to start at the bottom of my list here and kind of work my way up. Um, I want to start with the Gordon Hayward Award for Best Non-European White Guy. Um, Ooh. Yeah, what and he your, can't what, win it because he broke his leg in minute two of the season. So exactly, he can't win it. Although I was, I was tempted for a minute to give it to to give it to him. But, um, <laughs> what are, what are your thoughts on this, man? Best non-European white guy. Well, I'm struggling to come up with any since like Brad Miller retired. Um, Brad Miller. We got Kevin Love. Yeah, uh, yeah, is, is in the mix. Um, I'll tell you who I awarded, and I awarded this player in part because I like his podcast. Um, but because he, he continues to score at like a, a moderately compelling clip. And uh-huh. my, uh, my, my award goes to JJ Redick. Um, I see that polarizing, you know, people, people tend to either really like or really dislike JJ Redick. I like him. Um, well, that's, that's think, just cause he went to Duke. If he had played it like, I don't know, dude, right, if Florida played, state or something, then people would be like, that's a really solid NBA player. That's a solid NBA player with a long career, a bright future in the media, pretty compelling interview. You know, JJ Reddick gets my Gordon Hayward Award for best non-European white guy. Do you have a? Do you want to award it to Reddick as well, or do you have another? Um, I mean, that- in terms of best player, it's probably Love as right. you know. But because he made a whiny baby out of himself in Minnesota, I will award him nothing ever. So <laughs> he gets he gets awarded the the nothing award. Uh, I mean, Reddick's a good choice. Um, is Chris Kamen still in the league? No, he's not. I think so. There's a there's a guy who plays for the Brooklyn Nets. I think his name is Joe Harris. Okay, and he is um, great white guy name too. Yes. Great like mid century white guy name. Yeah, I mean, Joe Harris like, could have played for like the the Minneapolis Lakers with George Mikan. Yeah, I mean, it, it, with a name like Joe Harris, you can play any sport uh, yeah. between the the years like 1927 and today. You know, it's just, it's just yeah. solid. But here, so he had, he's had sort of a breakout year because, you know, Brooklyn is relatively talentless, but they're not mm-hmm. tanking because they don't have a first round pick. So they've been playing hard. He's like a six, eight swing man who shot really well, plays tough yep. defense. He was a, he was a, I think he was like the ACC player of the year in college, played at Virginia, I think. So, mm-hmm. uh, one of those sort of tough, hard nosed guys coached up by the, the Bennett family, Tony Bennett. Um, mm-hmm. so I think I'll give it to him for having a breakout year. He's not as good as Reddick. Reddick has been right. an established NBA great player for, you know, whatever now, 10 years. Um, yeah. but Harris for, for the breakout year gets it and the name. We're looking, we're looking to the future too. And I like that. I like that. We're not just resting on our laurels. If not, yeah, he's, he's going to be the kind of guy who they'll hold on to while he's cheap. But when he gets towards the end of his contract, mm-hmm. Some some team is going to make him. He's like he's the perfect three and D guy. So yeah. sort of like your your fifth best player or one of your first two guys off the bench. He's gonna he's gonna do really well on a on a competitive team in a year or two. Dude, speaking of non European white guys getting rich, um, 
Remember when Chris Dudley got like wildly overpaid in, in NBA free agency? This was yeah. this is going way Wasn't back. Wasn't that by the Knicks though? So it doesn't count. I think it was by the Knicks or the Nets. I think it was the Knicks. Um, so no, it doesn't count in in terms of you know the Nick pantheon of bad personnel moves. But I feel like Dudley was he was something that we celebrate often on the show, which is just like kind of an unathletic seven foot white dude who just inexplicably got you know truckloads of money. Uh, at one point, but yeah, I, uh, was it was it because of like sort of like the Jerome James special where they have four good games in a deciding playoff series, and then they get they just somebody backed up the truck for them the next year, dude. Right? Yeah, on that body of work, on that four game body of work, um, you get like, paid. We, we know you have a reputation for never practicing and way overeating, Jerome. But because you played four good games on national television, here's w- enough money to buy even more fast food. Absolutely. Yeah, you could buy fast food franchises with that kind of money. Uh, Pipe, my next category is best performance by an old player. Um, what do you? Who do you like in this category? I love old players. Well, it's Manu Ginobili all the way. Ooh, interesting, because I have a different one. But, uh, but, but, but do tell on Manu Ginobili. Manu Ginobili has been probably one of the most underrated players of his generation. I totally agree. Um, you know, he's had some health issues, but he's played on he played on multiple championships. He has been a sixth man and a starter. He's he's never play, been like a heavy minutes guy, you know, 35, 36 minutes a game. Yeah. Um but just just destroys guys who are 15 years younger than he is and more athletic. He's the craftiest. He's good at everything, you know. Yeah. Still a pretty decent defender, pretty good shooter, and just he Ironically, he's the one who made the Eurostep famous, even uh-huh. though he's from Argentina, which is not in Europe, Americans. Hey, you know what? Details, details, details. Yeah, Eurostep <laughs> sounds better than South American Step. That, it does. You know, that sounds like a, a racist dance name or something. That's um, true. But he just, but he's still doing it this year. He's 40 years old. He has a bald spot the size of a volleyball on the back of his head, mm-hmm. you know, and and he's still just making twenty five year old elite athletes look like fools, and so uh, he is. And and the Spurs are in playoff contention again, even though they've been without their best player all year long. And yeah. Tim Duncan retired two years ago, and they're still just churning along as a competitive team. No, I know, man. That's remarkable, really. What he's been, what he's been able to do as an as an older player. Mine, and I'm actually, I feel a little sheepish about this one. Um, I gave this award to Lou Williams, who is actually not that old. Is he like thirty um, one? He's thirty one. But I he came. In, but he came into the league out of high school, I think, which means he's like a fourteen year veteran or something. Dude, like right? That. I feel like he's been around forever. He's played for like a dozen teams, um, or at least that's my perception of the matter. And he just had a blistering like first part of the season. Lou Williams is on fire, and um, you know, in a way that caused everybody to go like where has this guy been all of our lives and he has been exactly this except in 20 minutes a game instead of 34 minutes a game dude exactly exactly and yeah it begs the question like you know why does a guy have to wait until age 31 for people to figure out that that you know this is what they have and he can do this kind of thing and it made me no go ahead go ahead it's because it's because he's only good at one thing i mean he he is the kind of nba player who the right coach can uh-huh. turn into a devastating weapon, but if you give him, you know, forty minutes a game and start right. him, the other team can take advantage of him. 
Right. So he's always been able to score. He has torched people since he got into the league, and he does it in all sorts of weird, unconventional ways. But mm-hmm. he can't play any defense, and he's not a real point guard, which is a problem when you're six two. So <laughs> exactly, he's he's like the perfect sixth man, though. He he is, you know. Oh, as a Timberwolves fan, I should probably put out Jamal Crawford as a potential old guy. Although he's Dude, actually, I love Jamal Crawford. He's so yeah. fun to watch, and he really hurts the team he plays for. That's kind of uh-huh. like Lou Williams, ex- which is why he's played for like twenty five teams right. as well. Yeah. Um. All right, dude. I've got a. I've got another award category: most compelling storyline award. Um. So as you look at the the NBA landscape this season. What has been to you the most compelling storyline? And there, there's one that for me is far and away the the winner in this category. But I'm I'm curious as to what you have for this one. For about half the season, it was whether or not Boogie and Anthony Davis could break the small ball uh, NBA, like just ruin it. Yeah. Because yeah. because everybody is moving towards you know swing men, smaller players. The big man is obsolete, and they're like, you know what we're gonna mm-hmm. do. We're going to put two seven-footers on the court at all times and see what we can do. And then Boogie got hurt, and that storyline stopped being compelling because it stopped altogether. Um, Dude, Boogie himself is so compelling. The NBA is just better when he's in it. And worse. Uh, and <laughs> it's worse. Better, it's and kind of, worse, it's kind of sure. better because it's worse. It's better because it's worse, exactly. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if, if there's anything else that jumps out at me. I mean, everything that goes on in Cleveland is is genuinely compelling because they have been a championship contender, but I'm so yeah. bored with LeBron. And, oh, for sure. Well, I'm bored yeah. with the narrative around LeBron. I'm not bored with him as yeah. a player. Same thing in Golden State. Just don't care yeah. that much. Yeah. Um, Houston, yeah, they're not that compelling. Yeah. Um, I think it's the okay. Here's the other one. It's the Kawhi yeah. Leonard injury thing. Oh yeah, that one. That one got close for me. Like, but what? I don't know what's going on. He, you know, he yeah. has been the consummate spur. He was an All NBA player. He had an injury that apparently the team and everybody who works for the team thinks is minor. Right. And he has rented an apartment in New York to train with like voodoo doctors or something. It's. It's Amazing. weird, especially because yeah. he had a reputation as like this quiet, non-confrontational guy, and now he's just—he might be the first spur to go rogue, like since night since Dennis Rodman. Dude, do you think he drank the whole like Kawhi Leonard is a superstar like Kool Aid back when he back in the world started to notice Kawhi Leonard last year? Well, Kawhi um, Leonard was a superstar. No, he was definitely, <laughs> but 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 in a very unspur like turn of events i wonder if he's if he's gone rogue you know what i mean because most yeah. most superstars on the spurs recognize that like being a spur is is the best course of action you know um i wonder if well, i wonder if that I, played into i think it. i think that could be it i think also that there's being a unique personality <clears throat> whether you're very sensitive whether you have I me mean, like mm-hmm. kevin love wrote that piece a few weeks ago about having um yeah. some mental health issues and depression and things like that very cool um, by the way i yeah, mean De- i'm DeMar, glad we live in a world where well guys to be can do. to be fair demar rosen did demar DeRozan did it first um that's true so yeah, he, yeah. he probably deserves credit for sort of cracking the ice on that yeah. so it's it's hard in, in the nba to be like that because there's sort of a there's a mold especially within a culture like the spurs where everybody fits into this formula. Yeah. And so I don't know what Kawhi's deal is personally, but I'm, I think it just sounds like it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Yeah, And he needs yeah. to be maybe coddled a little bit or he's more sensitive. And I don't mean that in an insulting way, just like no, no. Greg Popovich, not a coddling guy. So Dude, right. that might just not work. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I want to I go back 
to old athletes for just a second. And I want to ask you, do you have a favorite old NFL guy, excluding quarterbacks? So, so not Tom Brady, not Drew Brees, not Phil Rivers. Favorite NFL old guy? Currently? Currently or in the past. Maybe currently and in the past. Oh, man. Old NFL Because I think there are, pretty, there are some pretty compelling NFL old guys. Right yeah. I, I always really liked Rod Woodson. Yeah. And, he, and he played until he was maybe 39, which Dude, is... Rod Woodson was great because he kind of did the Jordan reinvent the game thing. Yeah. In which, like, when he came into the league, he was freakishly athletic, could cover anybody. It was a great, you know, like, you know, isolation type corner. You could just lock down half the field. But then he got old and he transitioned to safety and he ended up being like super elite back there too yeah and he was he was more much more of like a smart safety than a than a like the the heat-seeking missile kind of guy he just yeah you know, pos- he wasn't like sean taylor like flashing all over the place just making well, your jaw drop he rest in peace um, yeah yeah but he was he was great yeah woodson would be on that list uh i love well currently larry fitzgerald mm. um is is probably my favorite old player i mean he's old yeah. by nfl standards he's he's my age he's 35 yeah so yeah. But he just—he's another guy who reinvented himself because he came out of University of Pittsburgh as this explosive, leaping red zone yeah. threat, big play guy, and he's—he's he's slow as molasses now. But he never yeah. drops the ball. He always gets open, and he's just crafty as all get out. He's—he's he's like what Anquan Bolden was, except still more athletic and with better hands. Yeah, for sure, man. Dude, for me, like it, there are a couple in that category. So tight ends. Um, Antonio Gates, who I think is, he's gotta be 40 if he's a day. I don't know. I could look it up. But. He, he's sort of like the Larry Fitzgerald of tight ends. Cause freaky athlete when he came in, cause he's a former power forward at yeah. whatever college he went to some small California school. And yeah. now, and now he's like, he just knows how to use his massive backside to fend off defenders and get open. Yeah, dude. I don't feel like Antonio Gates or Jason Witten could like beat you and me in a 40 yard dash anymore, but so crafty, um, yeah. Body position, where to go. Um, Gates still catches these, like he still feasts on these little, you know, six yard hitches and and crossing routes, and yeah, just still a really interesting piece of their offense in spite of his uh, his increasing age. But the the one for me really that's so compelling is James Harrison, right? Because <laughs> you're talking about a guy, yes, at a position that like that really hinges on explosiveness. So he's an edge guy. He's a pass rusher. Um, he's five you know, ten. He's five ten. He's like two sixty, freakishly functionally strong. But usually, like losing a step is the end of your life as a pass rusher. Yeah, like it's, it's usually game over at that point. But man, that guy was like extremely relevant in the playoffs. Extremely relevant in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, all all signs point to him playing again next year. So. Um, that's a really compelling old guy, man. Yeah. I, um, I love old guys who can reinvent themselves just absolutely. in general. I mean, you have to, as you get older, cause you, you lose athleticism, but yeah. Harrison is a weird one though, because he's lost athleticism. But my guess is he's probably more powerful now than he yeah. was at 28. Dude, he's got old man strength, which I absolutely continue to assert is and a real thing. It, it, he, yes, he has old man strength and old man craftiness, but he yeah. has young man strength too. Like you watch yeah, some, you can go find workout videos of his. The man leg presses literally like a thousand pounds. Yeah, it's it, it's insane. We're getting a little bit like far afield here, but do you think the NFL in general give, gives up on players too early? 
Like, I think the NFL is so obsessed with the whole, like, young man's game thing. I think some of these athletes literally haven't matured into what they're going to be physically until they hit their, like, mid to late 20s in some cases. You I know, think, but... I think there's... I think that's true because if coaches have a two-and-a-half-year period to prove that they should keep their job... Right, it's a function have, of, like... They the don't have three years to develop a player. Right, right. I think, yeah. like, Mike, Michael Floyd is a good example of that. Or, I mean, you mm-hmm. could pick any number of these guys who are just profoundly good athletes yeah. when they come out of college, but there's no refinement and nobody coaches them. I mean, Des Bryant has been in the league for 10, 11 years now. He said in an off-season interview this year, nobody has ever taught me how to run routes. Now, I saw that, man. granted, it's his job to learn how to run routes, and there are plenty of people who he could go to for help. But for sure. the fact that coaches are not developing that in players, I think that's, I mean, that's where... That that's kind of like they just churn through guys who never get a chance to develop. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll give you another one. Another great late career reinventor, Minnesota Viking, Randall Cunningham. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy whose game at the end looked very di- looked very different than his game at the beginning, but was no less effective and and arguably even more effective. Um, he became a great, you know, reader of the field. Was still a great passer. Um, obviously was less of a factor on the ground later in his career, but, but what a, what a fun quarterback, man. Vinny Testaverde didn't start playing good football until he was like 39, 40. So, you know, I think, I think sometimes as a function of, yeah, just the environment that we're in, in the league, we give up on guys too easy, but, uh, back to the NBA Piper and back to our awards, uh, funnest player to watch awards slash, I, I, I kind of subtitled this best unicorn. Because I feel like it's going to be unicorn type dudes that we name right. in this category, but but funnest player to watch slash best unicorn. Oh, let's see which player have I had the most fun watching this year. Oh, you know what? I never gave my most compelling storyline. Oh yeah, you didn't. That's right. We got and we got kinda, derailed by old guys. It kind of dovetails onto this one Freaking actually. Old guys, um, my most compelling storyline was the whole Markel Fultz thing. Yeah, with, that's a uh, really good one with Philadelphia. Man, I, I I was racking my brain to think of. Has anything that weird and kind of coy and cagey and cloak and dagger ever happened in sports with a prospect that big, you know, um, with a number one pick who just kind of goes off the rails, um, very mysterious as to whether it's physical, but everybody thinks it's kind of mental um, and he just disappears and then he resurfaces and he's, you know, it's fun to see him like playing actual basketball now and, and being semi a factor, but um, what do you make of the whole Markel Fultz thing? I, I don't know what to make of it. It's, you know, the, the conspiracy theorist, tiny little part of me thinks they did it on purpose to, you know, to sort of bring him back. But, but no team would do that. I mean, even the, yeah. even the savviest of teams would not take the number one overall pick and be like, you know what, you're going to sit out and periodically post social media videos of, of airballing <laughs> jumpers with a uh-huh. form that would make Joakim Noah cry. Exactly. Um, so, so I, I don't actually believe that's the case. I think – I mean I, I, it has to be an injury of some yeah. kind. I yeah. just don't know why there's not a clear-cut statement of, oh, he has tendonitis in his shoulder or, oh, he has a, you know injured rotator cuff or whatever it is. So it's, it's a weird one though because, yeah, he just sort of all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, he's playing this week. And first game out, he drops 12 points and 8 assists in like 16 minutes. Exactly, yeah, and, which is a remarkable – like testament to his ability to get his head right on one level but yeah i was i was although he's still not really shooting jumpers yeah that's true that's true 
Um, that one, though, like, like that will be a fascinating book at some point, I think, um, regardless of how it goes. Maybe he washes out. Maybe he, he hangs around and becomes a star. Um, you know, who knows? But I, I think the story of what happened, what happened to him, what happened to him mentally, emotionally this season is going to be a, a fun one to uncover in, in later days. But funnest player to watch, Pipe. Who are you going with there? Um, let's see. Donovan Mitchell, the rookie for Utah, has been the most surprising fun player. because Mainly because uh, I can't remember the last time I thought anybody on the Utah Jazz was remotely interesting, even when Gordon Hayward played there. Like, Gordon Hayward is a really Oof. good player, but yeah. he's, he's not that exciting. And that yeah, team, you're not like... You, you're not like blocking off time to watch. Yeah, you don't. You don't go tune yeah. into to league pass to uh, <laughs> yeah. to watch Gordon Hayward's you know razor cut part shoot jumpers. Um, but, Man, but although the more you say that, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I realize that I'm I'm not the you are not my target audience on that take. I know, um, man. I know. I've got to I got to bite my tongue here for sure. So Donovan Mitchell has been the biggest surprise because I he's just he he got no buzz coming out in the draft. He was you know yeah. he he. Tore up summer league, but you know, so did like Nikolaj Chidiskvili fifteen years uh-huh. ago. Like terrible players do that. So right, right, right. But he has just—I don't think he's the rookie of the year. I think that's Ben Simmons. Yeah. But but Mitchell is insane. He's yeah. such he's such a dynamic player. It just he's a he's a he's aggressive. He you know he kind of attacks the hoop a little bit. Russell Westbrookish, but uh-huh. he also hits three four threes a game. He's he's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, for sure, man. So Ben Simmons was my guy. Um, yeah, he's he's a fun one too because he's just he's so weird. Yeah, he's weird. Um, he's young. Rookies are fun. He's a fun guy on a fun team. You know that team is really starting to to peak right now at the right time, and and they could do some damage. Um, last category for me. Well, I have, I have a I have a question for you about about Simmons. Yeah. So I was thinking this watching him the other day. I was like, he plays at like. Here, here was my take. Think of think of Rajon Rondo when he played on the Celtics. Yeah. Except make him six foot ten. <laughs> Isn't that Ben Simmons? Dude, it kind of is, man. And, and here's the thing: is. I don't mean that as an insult because that Rajon no. Rondo was like a regular triple double machine. He was a yeah, he ball hawk. He he set up guys for points. He was, you know, he had some issues. He couldn't yeah. shoot to save his life. Neither can Simmons. Right. I, I kind of think that's what he is. He's he is the six ten version of Rajon Rondo, except probably a little bit more physically explosive. Which is a pretty good thing to be at the yeah. end of the day. I mean, let's let's be honest. That's not a yeah. That's not a pejorative at all. Um, is is Philly? Look, let's let's digress momentarily into the playoffs. Let, let's talk about for you as you start the playoffs, the funnest team in the playoffs. In terms of like pure fun factor, the team you'd like to see go the deepest because they're the most fun. For me, it's Philly. Um, who is it for you? Well, I think yeah, I, th- I think Philly is uh, is very clearly that team because it's such a young team. Mm-hmm. They've been so bad for so long. I really want Embiid to be healthy. I don't know if he's going to make yeah. it back for the playoffs or not because he he would be on the most fun players to watch list as well. Right. Simply because the last time we, I mean, there there hasn't been a seven two guy who's like him in forever. Um, exactly. So they they would be hindless, especially because there's actually a shot they could come out of the East because there are right. no like there are no dominant teams out there. I think Toronto's the closest to a dominant team, but right. who really thinks Toronto's a dominant team? Dude, right. Uh, yeah, and, when your best player is 
you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, they I, they have they, the thing is they that they're doing this year is shooting threes and they have a deep bench, but like that that's good functional basketball. It's not good entertaining basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. Out of the West, probably. I mean, it's hard for me to say any of the teams in the West because I'm a Timberwolves fan, but yeah. they have completely crapped the bed with Butler's mm-hmm. injury and Tom Thibodeau not knowing how to coach in modern NBA. Um, oh, and Andrew Wiggins is Rudy Gay, so that's three mm-hmm. strikes against them. Um, <laughs> and I, so probably I I think Portland. Ooh, mainly because they they have two guys on their team who could go nuclear in any playoff series. That's true. You know, that's you th- it's feasible that Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum could go toe to toe with the Golden State guys, the Houston guys. That's true, and that's true, and I mean, be beyond that, like they, they, those are that's probably the most explosive duo out there, and that's uh, true. I don't think the rest of the team is good enough to do it, but I mean, it's the kind of thing where you're like, I, I could see them taking Golden State to seven. I could see that. I could definitely see that. All right, pipe. Last category: best fat player. Um, our love of fat players across different sports is is well documented on this program. Best fat NBA player this year. Man, this is tough because there just aren't very many anymore. There aren't very many anymore. I know it, and man. Like, it's hard. Too many private chefs and like yeah, too, many private, too much, too much working out. Too yes. much, too many nutritional supplements. It's not fun anymore. You yeah, know? I, I mean, I liked it when people's nutritional sub supplement was like Budweiser and a cigarette during halftime. Dude, I love that. I love um, that. We, we were actually talking about that last night in the in the context of the Masters mm-hmm. and how much fun golf was when we were kids because you had like. Craig Stadler and his like walrus mustache and dumpy physique. And you have the guy who like unabashedly drank beer and smoked during tournaments. Who's that guy? John Daly. John Daly. Yeah. Um, yes. Chichi Rodriguez. Like there were, there were just all these like different body yeah. types and personalities. Chichi Rodriguez was, was a chimney. Yes. He was a chimney. It was fantastic. And I think I loved all these guys because they like, you know, reminded me of my grandpa, like smoking and puttering around on the golf course. But you know, now the guys are, they're all robots. They're all like chiselly, cheek bony, rich kids you know yeah with yeah with these with these golf shirts that show off you're like oh yeah golfers are not supposed to have six six packs or pectorals i don't know like blame tiger woods for that dude right golf is supposed to be the official sport of like relaxation and taking it easy and and these guys all look like they could play outside linebacker in the league you know that's not fun they they play golf they very clearly could not play outside linebacker but (laughs) yes they do they do look like they could work out with the outside linebackers Right, they look good getting off the bus, you know. Um, my favorite fat player this year, Pipe, and he's a player that I was I was very sad to see the Memphis Grizzlies part ways with, was Zach Randolph. Um, I've always been an enjoyer of Zach Randolph. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the few fat players that I could think of because Boris Diaw is no, no longer in the league. He was my former favorite fat but player. But Raymond Felton is. That's true. That's true. And Raymond Felton's a fun one because he plays point guard. Yeah, that's right. It's an unconventional position for a fat player, which yeah, which makes him really even a better choice than Zach Randolph. Dang it. Jameer Nelson's still in the league. Not, the, granted, he's not really fat. He's just kind of blocky. He's, you yeah, know? he's stocky. He's stocky. Exactly. Whereas like There's Felton, you're like, no, his belly jiggles when he runs. Yeah, Felton is smooth. You know, he's, he's smooth, like jiggly fat dude. So, uh, Pipe, this has been fun. Um, anything more you want to add? on the playoff discussion before we move on is why well, yeah i think i think we should just let's let's skip the skip all the various rounds and and ask yeah. this question uh okay. is cleveland coming out of the east 
part A. Yeah. Part B is Golden State coming out of the West because they've met, what, three consecutive times now? Yeah. This gonna, would gonna, be four? I'm going to go no on Golden State. Um, I think the Rockets are going to come out of the West. And what's more, I, I want them to. You know, there are other teams that I would rather – like, it'd be more fun for the Blazers to come out of the West. I don't think right. they're actually going to. But um, in lieu of that happening or something like that happening, I think I think the Rockets will come out of the West. And I, I really want it to happen because I've got, like, like serious Steph Curry warrior fatigue at this point. Um, who do you like in the West? Assuming health, I think I would still pick Golden State. Um, yeah, you're probably not. Yeah, you're probably not far off. Well, I mean, but it, but they're not healthy right now. Steph's yeah. ankles are being Steph's ankles again. You know, that's uh-huh. where, you know, rid its head. They've also yeah. seemed to have kind of the pressure seems to be getting to them. Granted, that tends to go away in the playoffs because the pressure is on everybody and they're yeah. used to it now. Yeah. Um, and Houston, you know, there's the Mike D'Antoni issue. There's the Harden issue. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of Moving sort of parts there. Yeah. Uh, well, and and just a lot of like clouds, kind of casting a shadow, hovering yeah. over that team. But yeah. I think they're the. I mean, they're the best team in the West right now. Right. Uh, I would probably still pick Golden State given health, maybe even without it. Like even if Steph yeah. couldn't go, if Katie, Clay, and Draymond are healthy, they might still come out. And honestly, I'd be okay with that because partly because they're fun to watch, but partly because I really like dynasties. I really yeah. like dynasties. I realize that they're not the most fun from a competitive standpoint, but they're also kind of the best from a competitive standpoint. Dude, I want to I want to explore that for a minute. So, what? How did your love of dynasties start? What was the first dynasty that you that you really loved in sports? Well, I I started out hating dynasties. So okay. the first dynasty I hated was the New York Yankees. Sure. Um, the, the Jeter era Yankees yep. in part yep. because I am a twins fan and, um, and the twins got summarily, you know, assassinated by them over and <laughs> over and over again. And it was, you yeah. know, Yankee stadium was a house of horrors for us, Yeah, but, but it was just, but they did that to everybody. Sure. Um, and so I hated them, but then I realized later that my hate of the Yankees made baseball more fun to watch. Ah, interesting. Because yeah. because you you have to have like every movie needs a villain. Right. If the villain is crappy, it's not a good story. Just yeah. period. So you need a great villain so that you can root for the good guys to overcome them. And so I like I don't root for dynasties, but I, when they're around it's really fun because it is fun. like this year if if Houston beat Golden State, mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool. If it Golden would. State won this year, that would make next year even better. That's true. Because that's, true. that's Although, four straight finals for them, or I think it's four straight finals for them, and and Houston would be coming back with this team, and there'd be some other mover, you know, moving around in in free agency and trades and whatever. So I think uh, I would love. I mean, that's that's why I think dynasties are great. Do you think? I think I actually think this about the Warriors and the the, the Cleveland Lebrons. Um, I think it, the the Warriors arc in particular has been so interesting because it wasn't that long ago that they were the upstart wonderkind, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Steph Curry was the fresh faced, you know, symbol of everything good in sports and everything that could be. And it hasn't taken that long for people to get fatigued of them. Um, it's taken a little bit longer with LeBron, but it, it begged the question for me. Um, 
what what are what are what are sort of precursors for teams with great players that we got sick of um that we got really really sick of and we didn't want to see around anymore in spite of the fact that there were great players and even those players could be fun to watch but I, I think people are like pretty united in this whole attitude of, of being sick of the Warriors and the Cavs. See, that's the um, thing is I, I think people are sick of them. But if you sat down and, and asked them a series of questions like, would you rather watch a game between the Memphis Grizzlies and uh, the New Orleans Pelicans? Or would you rather right. watch a game between Golden State and the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah. They would say Golden State and the Portland Trailblazers. If you said uh, – would the playoffs be more fun if Golden State didn't make it? They would say no. Yeah. Was is yeah. the NBA better without LeBron James in it? Like hands down, no. Nobody would say right. yes to that. So people right. people love to hate, but mm-hmm. they don't they don't actually hate. There's just like this there's a fan reaction of we want the next new and exciting thing, which is why yeah. which is why dr- the draft season is so exciting because it's like, yeah. ooh, it's the next crop of superstars. Here's the thing. No NBA rookies ever lead teams to the playoffs or the finals, ever. That's true. N- neither to second and third year players. That's true. They need to get That's whooped true. by the really good veterans for a while before they become really good veterans. So right. it's just we love new, but we don't really hate the old. Yeah. No, you're right, man. That's a good point. It's definitely a good point. And I think we – yeah, we get sick of it, but then we we appreciate it when it's gone. You know, we definitely appreciate it when it's gone. Pipe, we've got time for one more quick topic, and you brought this one up. Um, baseball's unwritten rules. Now, um, I want you to explain why you brought this up because, uh, your team was involved in one of these recently and, uh, and, and then I've got another question to lay on you. All right. So the Minnesota twins opened the season at playing at Baltimore in one of the games, the twins were up by, by a pretty fair margin in the ninth inning. I think it was like seven to nothing or something like that. It was, so it was a substantial lead. And one of the, one of the Baltimore players, um, the Twins put the shift on him, so they moved the whole left side of the infield to the right-hand side because the guy's a pull hitter. The guy yeah. did what any smart hitter should do and more players should do, and he bunted down the third baseline to sure. to uh, to get a single. And after the game, a whole bunch of the Twins players expressed how, like, that's you don't you don't bunt for a hit in a seven nothing game. You don't you know blah blah uh-huh. blah. It's so that that was what brought this to my attention because I was just like. You gave him the whole half of the field. Right. So what do you expect him he, to do in that situation? He beat you at your game. Now, granted, you still won the game. They, they didn't score mm-hmm. a run. Not a big mm-hmm. deal. But mm-hmm. there's just sort of this like old school – it's like bunting if you bunt for a hit to break up a no-hitter. That happened yeah. several years ago in a game. And you know people were like, oh, that's cheap. I'm like, it's, it's no more cheap than slapping one into the gap. It's, right. it's just he hit it where they ain't. Um, and so this was what brought it up was that. And, uh, so baseball of all the sports, I think has the most sort of unwritten old school rules about what is and is not okay. And I, Uh I find them both fascinating and generally asinine. Yeah, they are, man. They are. Um, this begs the question pipe, as you look at our industries, so book publishing, academia, kind of famous Christendom in general, what what's an unwritten rule that that exists in our industries? Can you think of one? Hmm. Or one that's stupid? Unwritten rules in our industry. 
I honestly I didn't have anything in mind. Huh. It, just, it just came to I, mind. The, the thing, my mind is running a direction. I can't think of exactly what the rule would be, but it it would have something to do with bragging. Like you uh-huh. are allowed to associate yourself with this with success. Okay, here's yeah. what it is. You never say you're proud of something. You always say it makes you humble. Yes, so I'm, dude, I'm, that's so true. I'm, I'm humbled humble, by. I'm humbled by when what you really mean is I'm proud of. That's it, man. So you you post the picture of the the freshly opened box of new books that just came from your publisher. Mm-hmm. I'm so humbled by, you know, Harvest House commitment to this yeah. book. You post, yeah, you post the picture of you speaking at this conference, like humbled by the yeah. opportunity to to like, share with. No, what you really mean is ex- excited about or yeah. Proud what you really of. mean is I'm stoked out of my mind yeah. to be in this green room, to be on this podium, to have this new box of books with my name on it. Absolutely. Dude, that, that's it. That's the unwritten rule of our industry. You can never come right out and say, I'm proud of this thing that I did. Which begs the question, what would happen if somebody did that? Maybe we should do it as a case study. Well, I think um, we should put – I don't know if Jared C. listens to the sports podcast, but Jared C., you post a lot about things that happen. Um, so you know, speaking places you go and books you open, now you're not humble bragging. You're just posting about things. But I think, uh, I think we should let him test the waters on this. So Jared C., next ooh. time you go speak somewhere, just be like – I'm proud to be on this stage. Dude, I'm proud just, to be on this stage. see what I'm, happens. I'll be honest. I'm stoked about the size of the audience. Like, I'm glad I'm playing arenas now and I'm not playing clubs anymore. Yeah, be like, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad I got out of that tiny little church and now I'm speaking yeah. at, big, at big joints. Exactly. Man, that would be so refreshing if somebody did that. Pipe, what, uh, what sports book do you have to recommend right now? Oh, let me see. Sports book. Uh, the, it is, it's one, since we're talking NBA, talked about NBA draft, I want to make sure I get the name right. I think it's called tip off. Um, okay. and let me make sure I'm getting the name right. Um, yes, tip off. And it's about the 1984 NBA draft. It's by a guy named Philip Bondi. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember when that book. So the 84 yeah. draft was a fascinating time with all sorts of backroom dealings. It's the one when Jordan was not drafted first. Right. Um, and and it was a loaded draft too. So some other really talented players in that draft. Um, so so there's Jordan stories, there's Barkley stories, there's Akeem Olajuwon stories. Um, who was the guy who Portland picked first? Oh, Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie yeah. went first. And, uh, and so it's – it reads quick. It's a fun read. If you're an NBA fan, it's a, it's a really good one. So tip off by Philip Bonney. Some pretty fascinating stories about one of the most amazing drafts in NBA history. Nice. Dude, mine is, um, mine is actually NFL draft related. Um, it's a book called Next Man Up by John Feinstein. And I, like, I haven't historically been – I know there are people who are like ride or die with John Feinstein. And, and I'm not that person, not because I don't like him as a writer, but just because – Oftentimes the subject matter hasn't hasn't been a, a perfect fit for me, although the NFL draft is a perfect fit for me, subject matter wise. And he did this book, Next Man Up, about um, basically a year that he spent with um, with the Baltimore Ravens and Ozzie Newsome back mm-hmm. when they were good at drafting. And um, they gave him like carte blanche, unprecedented access, um, you know, scouting meetings, war rooms, you know, trips to scout players. Um, as this team kind of put their board together and did trades and um, did all the all the stuff leading up to picking players. So if you're a nerd for the NFL draft, which I am, um, the draft is right around the corner. That would be uh, that would be a great one to read and enjoy. Um, you know, it's one of those books that even though the 
the years and the players are dated, it never really gets old for me. That's funny. I, I mean, I've heard so many good things about that one, but never read it. I mean, as is true of many sports books, there's yeah. there's there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, but yeah, I should I should check that one out just you because check it, it out. yeah, it sounds like conceptually it sounds fascinating, even though I don't care a ton about that particular team. Yeah, I don't care at all about that team, but I I really do enjoy the draft and draft related things and player acquisition and all the kind of theory that goes into it. So uh, so yeah, that's a fun one. Well, Pipe, we have wandered to and fro throughout these sports topics, and uh, I have I've been remiss in that I didn't come up with a name at all to sign this episode off with. So I think we exhausted our. Oh, uh, I let me let me uh, let me feed you one. I uh, okay. think think I don't think we've used this one. Um, a fat former Atlanta Falcons tight end. Oh, who comes to mind? Algie Crumpler? That's the one. Ah, I love it. All right, that's perfect. Dude, a good a good fat guy reference too, man. Yeah, that, that several... was a that was a listener suggestion. So shout out to the listener for sending that one in. That was that was strong. Absolutely. There were several iterations of Algie Crumpler's fatness too. Mm-hmm. Like New England signed him at the very end of his career, and I think he was like two ninety five. Yeah, he's like, like he, was, he was like left guard fat. Yeah, he was he was gigantic. So uh tip of the hat to Algie Crumpler. Um great NFL fat guy. And until next time. Algie Crumpler. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at LifeAudio.com.